When I wake up on the wrong side of the planet And the creamer for my coffee has gone bad And the people on the streets should really can it The views and opinions of this program are those of its host and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of 90.1 FM, KKFI, Midcoast Radio Project, or its staff and volunteers. 90.1 FM, KKFI, Kansas City, Community Radio. Streaming online at www.kkfi.org. Mastery, sad story now. Still waiting for the truth to be told now. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It won't be long now, now. Won't be long. Heard the news, heard your rivers all run dry. And on TV, I see missiles. Word is out, loud whispering for we know. Boy, angels turn mercenaries coming in thousands strong. Boy, I'm Motherland, Tuned to 90.1 FM, KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. This is Urban Connections. I'm your host, Donna Mara Wolf. Our co host, Karen E. Griffin, is here in studio at the table with us. And we are joined by our guest uh, for the hour uh, author, lecturer, certified diversity facilitator, news media consultant, freelance writer. Well-known icon now, I would say, of Kansas City. Mm -hmm. I'm going to call it as I see it, <laughs> Lewis. Uh, Lewis W. Duguid. Welcome back to KKFI and Urban Connections. It's always good to be here, Donna. Thank you. Um, you are so very welcome. Thank you for being with us once again. I want to start off with um, an announcement regarding our guest last uh, week, uh, Mr. Carl Staff, uh, Stafford, you know Carl Stafford of um, the organization uh, My Region Wins. Remember, he was on that panel with you, what that you moderated right, with right. Uh, Sly James and stuff. So anyway, um, Carl scheduled to, is scheduled to be the keynote speaker at the Heartland Heartland Conservation Alliance Martin Luther King Jr. Nature Walk, which is scheduled to take place Monday. Well, it's canceled, and it's virtual. Uh, it's going to be virtual now. It's still going to go on. Um, but if you need a link to that, you can email me, and I'll send you a link to it. But uh, Heartland Conservation Alliance, 
uh, is where you will also go to get the information if you're interested in attending the Martin Luther King Jr. Nature Walk, this annual event um, that gathers the Kinsey community for a walk that elicits listening, reflecting, and honoring the works and words of Dr. Martin Luther King. All right. So, at the table with us today, once again, is our good friend, Louis Duguid, who um, has recently uh, published a book. Yeah. Uh, it's about Cuba, um, exploring Cuba, erasing fears through multicultural education. It details the cultural and professional exchanges to Cuba organized by the National Association of Multi Multicultural Education, a.k.a. NAME, between 2015 and 2019. It also has reflections on the impact of the coronavirus pandemic on Cuba and U.S. relations. Now, Lewis wrote this book with, oh man, with the late yeah. Betty Tate Beaver, his partner, um, she was the executive director of the National Association for Multicultural Education, NAME, and Betty led six cultural and professional exchanges of U.S. educators and other folks to Cuba throughout her uh, career. So Betty was a great friend of uh, Urban Connections, and uh, we miss her. She loved you guys. <laughs> we loved her back. We loved her back. So, uh, you know, one of the things that um, really grabbed me uh, early on in, in the book, uh, Erasing Fears, first of all, that we're having to erase fears. Mm. We're having to go to Cuba and meet people and interact with people um, toward the end of erasing fears about Cuba. So I like to start from the beginning. Where is the fear of Cuba coming from? Well, that's, that's a very good question, Donna. And it was a question that came up um, in our trips to Cuba because when we got there, <clears throat> we just saw people. Mm -hmm. We saw people who were trying to live their lives as best they could despite the more than then 50-year-old um, embargo that the United States had on Cuba. And the thing that came up repeatedly is, why are we so afraid of Cuba? Why do we have to keep this embargo on this nation? Because they are harming no one. They're doing um, us nothing um, <clears throat> but, but living south of Florida. And um, it, it's just... The United States uh, being unwilling until the Obama administration to really step up off of the Cold War uh, concerns and fears that um, dated back to the early 1960s. And the book goes into a lot of the history. It um, talks about the uh, Spanish-American War. It talks about <clears throat> how the um, uh, administration in the United States at that time insisted that though Cuba had its quote unquote freedom, the United States would still um, have the right to intervene in any 
policy that the Cuban government established. And was Cuba a, a U.S. territory at some point in time in history? It, it wasn't like Puerto Rico, um, but it still um, had the U.S. colonial influence over, over Cuba. Um, Puerto Rico, of course, uh, never uh, established its independence. Cuba uh, did. In, in its own way, but, but the Constitution of Cuba had to be written in such a way that the U.S. government could intervene in anything involving Cuba. And then the U.S. government controlled the Cuban economy and um, set the price for um, a, a cash crop in Cuba, and that was sugar. And they were at the mercy of the United States, and it continued that way until the revolution. And Castro and the people who were behind the revolution just broke the chains. They just broke them. And then um, that's why the United States um, has really been so um, hard against Cuba for forever. And, and that's not let up. It got better during the Obama administration, but then Trump came in and it just got worse all over again. So, you know, you use the word, you, you, you talked about colonialism. You talked about the United States controlling the economy of Cuba and uh, setting its prices and that kind of thing. Cuba's 90 miles off the coast of uh, the southern coast of Florida. And so I guess what, by what, it sounds very patriarchal. By divine right, we had the right to control the economy and the doings of, of the people of uh, Cuba? Well, that was the, um, the U.S. Um, really asserting itself into the <coughs> governing of, of that island nation. And um, it, it was uh, effective for uh, the early part of the um, 20th century. And mm -hmm. like I said, it wasn't until Castro came along um, and uh, began his revolution against the Batista administration of, of Cuba that the Cubans were able to finally break that hold. You, you have to keep in mind that Cuba was a playground for the rich in the United States and it was also a playground for the mob mm -hmm. in the United mm -hmm. States and, and many uh, multinational interests, though um, still uh, in, in its uh, early stages, uh, multinational interests in the United States owned property, owned um, utility, utility companies, owned uh, the rights of production in Cuba. And Castro nationalized um, a lot of that and um, kicked them all out. So uh, <laughs> I just rewatched The Godfather 2 recently. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there's this whole relate part it, part of it a big part of it is a relationship between Michael Corleone this is after the Don has died and with this guy who basically was controlling Cuba from the um, mafia uh, to use that word uh, point of view and they they have these opulent surroundings and parties and and in one scene there's a big cake in the shape of, of Cuba, mm. and these guys are carving it up and, 
and virtually symbolic. handi- symbolically yes. carving the cake and handing the pieces to these multinational uh, interests that you uh, speak about. So that's a real deal. Yeah. When we were uh, in Cuba and, and during the <clears throat> many different trips, um, we went to the Hotel National. Mm-hmm. And the Hotel National in uh, Havana was where a lot of the mobsters stayed. Okay. But it was also where a lot of celebrities from the United States stayed. And, and keep in mind that Cuba was a playground for the rich and the famous. And it, it was just fascinating, Donna, to be on the grounds where all of that took place in the past and, and to see how it's been forged into something very, very different. Mm-hmm. And you describe in the book basically um, experiencing the remnants of that society that was controlled by the rich. What was the working class like uh, in Cuba? Well, we're, we're talking about several different, different classes. I mean, there, was, there were the uh, folks who were the outsiders coming in from other countries. And it wasn't just the United States. They were from all over the world. Um, but then there were um, uh, the Cubans who were part of the um, elite class uh, of Cubans. They were the intellectuals. They were the, the, the scholars. They were <coughs> the doctors, the lawyers, uh, etc. The bankers, um, uh, the, the banks were controlled by, uh, again, multinational interests. And then there was this huge fall off um, so that you got uh, into the peasant class, and then you got into the people who literally were begging on the streets. Um, one of the things that doing this book really taught me that that is astounding is that even though we were we were traveling through Cuba, we were experiencing Cuba, we were doing our cultural and professional exchanges in Cuba, it forced us to look at the United States and, and everything in the United States that... Um, is going in the wrong direction, uh, in particular with the disparity of wealth. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that uh, Castro did um, you know, after the revolution was to eliminate street begging, to eliminate prostitution, to um, eliminate all of these things that people were having to do just to make ends meet because they couldn't make ends meet any other way. And, and so when, when we were um, first arriving in Cuba during every trip, the people who were our host, uh, Proximity Cuba, explained that um, if anyone comes up to you and is asking for money, don't give it to them because um, they, they have been trying forever to end begging and they don't want tourists bringing it back. Um, they said that there will be people who will come up and want to have their picture taken with you, and then they will expect the tourists to give them some money just because they're they're being photographed, and that's that's a legitimate um, way in which they're they're earning their their keep. Mm-hmm. Or they'll come up and, and want to draw a sketch of you, and then they'll expect some money, and and that happened. Um, but just to give money away, no. But if you look at the the things that prompted the revolution in Cuba, and you look at what's going on in the United States, we should be very concerned because we have disparity of wealth that's out of control. 
We have people begging on the street. Almost every highway entrance and exit, there are people who are begging. And then the homeless uh, community is just growing and growing and growing, and um, affordable housing is, is out of control. Um, so that <coughs> this, this is a concern for me here in this country, the same as it was a concern um, during the Castro administration just getting started. Just like um, Castro eliminated prostitution and begging and um, things like that, situations like that that people had to do just to get ahead, he also implemented an incredible literacy program in Cuba. Talk about that. Right. Um, Cuba has the world's only literacy museum. And every trip that um, uh, Betty led into Cuba, we stopped at the Literacy Museum. In 1960, in what continues to be the longest speech at the United Nations, um, Castro got up and spoke for over four and a half hours. And in that speech, he um, clearly said that Cuba would eliminate illiteracy within a year. And when he went back to Cuba, they mobilized um, <coughs> a fleet of volunteers, uh, hundreds of thousands of volunteers, who went into the countryside and, and went into the cities, and they taught adults and children all how to read. There are uh, people to this day in Cuba who are senior citizens now mm -hmm. who were children um, back during the literacy campaign teaching people how to read. I mean, it's a fascinating um, accomplishment. But it did several things at the same time. Number one, it helped people to understand that Cuba is an independent nation and that um, there are certain things to understand about Cuba as a new nation. And so um, the material that was handed out was really about what Cuba was and what Cuban citizens should, should be expecting from their, their new government. Number two, it brought health care into regions of Cuba that had never seen health care before. Um, <clears throat> so that people who couldn't see because of their eyesight being bad, they got to have glasses. Um, China provided Cuba with lanterns, um, kerosene lanterns, um, but still, lanterns that allowed them to be able to um, read at night. And then what was, what was fascinating is that the uh, volunteer corps went into these, these communities and they had to work with the people in the fields and their jobs during the day. And then at night, these, these volunteers had to find the energy to teach. Mm -hmm. Now, everyone had to proved that they could read and write by sending a letter to Castro um, to show that, that they were literate. And the museum has all of those letters, and the museum also houses um, the names of all of the volunteers with their pictures uh, wow. having, having participated in this. I They're mean, like national heroes, aren't they? Well, they are, um, and, and some of them have, have become um, <clears throat> PhDs and, and physicians and lawyers um, because of, of what they 
saw as their civic duty. Another thing that, that was really a standout for us is that, um, you know, in this country, we have a tendency to look down um, at uh, nations that are communist and to think that if there's a communist nation and you're going to get your um, uh, meals and, and everything else that you need, why would you work? Why would you even bother to work? Because it's, it's all free and, uh -huh. and so you can just lay back and be lazy. But that's not the case in, in Cuba. People um, not only are very uh, diligent about doing whatever job they have, but they also are um, big on what they call a voluntary work, which is helping their community, helping uh, other individuals to grow. And Cuba has, um, what, we, what we found was it's a country of we, whereas it's a sense of community that's really strong and bonded and a, and a sense of family. Unlike here, which is, what's in it for me? Mm -hmm. <laughs> if, it's, if there's nothing in it for me, I don't want it. I'm out. And that kind of the <laughs> American national anthem, oh, what's in it, what's in it for me? Right. Um, Cuba didn't just help itself. It's, it's historically been helping other nations. It, Cubans have gone to fight wars in, in Africa alongside the ANC, and they've sent doctors around the world, and, and they had a, a, a coronavirus uh, mm -hmm. vaccine right. that they were uh, willing to share with the world. And have. And have shared. Talk about that. Um, Cuba has a health care system, really, that's second to none. Only um, behind the U.S. because they can't get the equipment that they need to be able to. And, and a lot of the, the different things that, that really make modern medicine modern. But um, Cuba has the uh, physicians that they lend out to other countries um, and um, other countries provide uh, different things in return. Um, but it's, it's just a, a fascinating um, delve into what another country that we've always looked at as being um, uh, untouchable uh -huh. has done uh, for the world. Um, going back to the literacy program, Cuba has um, used its uh, educators and sent them overseas to try to help other countries develop their own uh, literacy program so that they can eliminate illiteracy. Um, <clears throat> but the doctors are sent into other countries, other regions where there are uh, problems uh, and, and they have worked to try to eliminate those. Um, it's, it's just, again, we don't know these things because we're not told these things. All we know is Cuba bad, U.S. good, and, <laughs> and that's not enough. I mean, once you get there and you see it, and you see what they're able to do with so very little, um, it, it's remarkable. You, you mentioned some um, young travelers who went with you uh, on those trips that had no idea of the history of uh, Cuba. So young people don't even know. They weren't alive during the Cuban Missile Crisis and uh, Bay of Pigs and invasion and all those um, types of situations that are 
Did we learn about that in school back in the day? I don't think so. We did. I when think I was. I, don't know. I was. I in, think I learned that at home. Well, and because we it may read be. the newspaper. <laughs> well, and it may be, but I know that um, the Cuban Missile Crisis was very real uh, in my household, um, <clears throat> and seeing Kennedy on TV with um, uh, them saying that the Russians were positioning missiles uh, at the U.S. and Cuba, and there was the blockade that was put into place around Cuba to prevent um, more material uh, from getting into Cuba. And, and it was a very tense time. I mean, it's not unlike what we're seeing now in the Middle East. It's very tense. Well, but what we didn't know, <laughs> Donna, was uh -huh. that um, though the U.S. was making a big deal of the missiles being placed in Cuba, mm -hmm. we had missiles in Turkey aimed at, at Russia. See. And so it one had to occur before the other would remove the missiles in, in Turkey. Mm -hmm. But we weren't told that. And, and so many things we learned when we were in Cuba that we weren't told. Um, in the Bay of Pigs being another one, that was um, the U.S. backing Cuban mercenaries going into Cuba to try to take back the island, mm -hmm. and and they uh, underestimated Castro and his forces, and and they they repelled um, <clears throat> the attack. But then there have been other attacks as well. And uh, as they say, half the story has never been uh, told about Cuba, and so this fear that's been uh, fomented is just, has, has always just been a ruse. Right. Um, keep in mind that Cuba was um, gaining its independence at a time when so many uh, colonized um, countries or, or colonized lands were also trying to shake off the yoke of imperialism. Um, the same time that um, uh, the uh, civil rights movement was taking shape in the United States, and uh, Malcolm X was um, a, a leader of the Nation of Islam. Um, Cuba was a part of that um, uh, insistence of people of color saying, we're not going to do this anymore. Mm -hmm. We need our independence. And <laughs> the um, people... Uh, who were part of the, the uh, colonial era were unwilling to let go, um, the same as the uh, folks who ran things in the United States were unwilling to let go. Um, <clears throat> Castro became good friends with Malcolm X. Um, Malcolm X provided um, um, Castro and his delegation uh, a place to stay in Harlem mm -hmm. when um, Castro made his speech to the United Nations uh, that, at the Hotel Teresa. Yes, wow. famous black-owned hotel yes. in Harlem, USA. I don't think uh, uh, Castro was welcome to stay anyplace else in New York City. Is that correct? He um, had initially stayed at another place but ended up going into uh, Harlem for protection. Um, mm -hmm. And he found no friends uh, anywhere else except in Harlem, except with the Nation of Islam, and um, uh, they provided protection for him. A and then when he was uh, speaking to the United Nations, he said that he thought it was um, degrading 
that uh, the press um, characterized him staying uh, in Harlem as um, uh, taking advantage of, of brothels. But oh. that, was, that was what they did to, um, again, denigrate um, people like Castro, who had nothing but um, <clears throat> good things in mind for, for his country. But, but, you know, the, the thing that, that also stands out from doing the research on this book and going to Cuba and seeing how they have been treated by the United States, Donna, is that Cuba and its treatment by the U.S. mirrors the U.S. treatment of African Americans and Latinos in the U.S., Mm -hmm. We have been isolated, we have been segregated, both socially and economically, so that we don't get a chance, and, and historically have not had the chance, to um, benefit from opportunities and the fruits of our labor, the same as the people in, in Cuba haven't had a chance to be able to be all that they can be. Um, and how they've been treated is very much we could identify with it because that's how we've been treated. Right. And Cuba has a, a black population, um, the same as in, in the United States, about the same percentage. Mm -hmm. And they, because they had slavery. Yes. And, and the Absolutely. slaves did the same Sugar kind of work was the right, thing. That, that, that we did, or we mm -hmm. had slaves here do. Mm -hmm. um, but after the revolution, because so many blacks fought with Castro in the revolution, he said, we are going to op outlaw racism. We are going to outlaw discrimination. We're, we're not going to have that anymore. Oh, it still exists, but, but I tell you, it's, it's quite a bit different. There, the people are treated um, on a more egalitarian basis, people who are black. Okay, very interesting facts. Thanks so much for sharing them with us here today. Our guest, Louis Duguid author on his latest work, Exploring Cuba, Erasing Fears Through Multicultural Education. How many trips did you do to Cuba? I went you all been? six. You went all six? <laughs> well, you know all you right. can't say no to Betty. No, she's going to grab you. I have no choice. Oh, all righty. Well, let's talk more about that when we come back after these messages here at 90.1 FM KKFI. Kansas City Community Radio Urban Connections is the program, and we'll be back after these messages. Hi, this is Bill Pierce. The All Souls Forum is moving from Thursday noon to Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. This is part of the new on-air schedule being rolled out at KKFI in the third week of January. Please join us for the All Souls Forum each Tuesday at 7 p.m. beginning January 23rd. Did you know Kansas City passed a ban-the-box ordinance in 2018? Have you been asked about your felony conviction on an application for employment or rental housing? If so, we want to know by who. Please contact the Reentry Subcommittee of KC360 at 816-231-0217 and let's help end this discrimination. This message is a public service of KKFI.
Cubanissimo, a very well-known Cuban jazz and and artist, a group of artists uh, that's led by um, uh, Jesus Alamane, a trumpeter for the legendary San group, Sierra Maestra from the 1 of 15. The group began as a recording project and subsequently became Epiphanous throughout the world. Okay, plug that in. Okay. Well, Donna, you know what was fascinating is that the restaurants that we went to, and they were just everyday restaurants that you might mom and pop places up and down the street here, mm-hmm. that we went to, they would have live music mm-hmm. and they would have people in some cases who were. Um, dancers and they would perform while we had lunch and then they would sell their cds um to us tourists um so that we could benefit from the music after we had gone home Mm -hmm. first year i went i I bought one cd Mm -hmm. and i played that joker almost (laughs) until it it, it was worn out (laughs) second year i kept you know buying more and more cds because um it is good music yeah Mm -hmm. And um, it's just one of the things that they would do in a nation that is a socialist country, but very much a capitalist um, uh, practice Mm -hmm. of of selling you things that that would benefit. Well, they they have to eat. But, But also what was fascinating is that people who were doctors and lawyers and professors were actually working as tour guides because they made more money from tips mm. than they did from the stipend that they would get for doing their their day job. Interesting. Okay. So some uh, music and dance forms that are well known and associated with Cuba are mamba, salsa, cha-cha-cha, <laughs> danzon, bolero, rumba, Son and Latin jazz. So what a cultural feast. It it really was. Um, And you have to understand that um, the trips that Betty led were never um, uh, relaxing. Uh, They were never uh, a a, a day on the beach. It it (laughs) was always get on the bus. We're going to get off here. We've got to go through this. We're going to have our cultural professional exchange with this group. Everybody's got to participate. Um, and so at the end of the day of doing all of that with several different groups, 
people were worn <laughs> out, and it she was would hot too. Well, and it was too. yeah, it was blazing hot, and she would tell people that. You might need a vacation after we've finished <laughs> right, this it's been a vacation. 10 days, it's 14 education. days, whatever it was. I mean, but it was a deep immersion in, into, the, into their culture and, and for us to also um, deeply exchange with them our culture. Now, yeah. how did you do language-wise? How did your group do language-wise? And who spoke better the other's language? The people in Cuba? speak better English or vice versa? Um, Well, keep in mind that we are uh, dumb Americans Mm -hmm. and we aren't really required to to learn any other language but our own. Mm -hmm. And um, I, in high school and college, took some French Mm -hmm. um, and Betty had taken some Spanish. But overall, the people in Cuba spoke English as well as we did. Mm -hmm. And so um, uh, there were some in our group who were fluent in Spanish, and they could kind of work um, behind the scenes to let us know, okay, this is what's being said that you're not hearing because you don't know the language. And and it was always, uh, everything was always very upfront and and honest, and, and there was no underhanded stuff going on at all. But we depended on their English um, to really carry us through. What about services available in Cuba? I mean, can you kind of compare and contrast our way of life and uh, how regular folks live in Cuba? And is there an elite uh, class at all in Cuba? There wasn't an elite class um, that we could see. Um, If you look at the United States, and again, going to another country like that, it forces you to look at your own um, place as much as it it does to look at uh, Cuba. Mm -hmm. Education, for instance, there are no private schools. Mm-hmm. There are, um, there's not the delineation between schools in the suburbs, schools in the city, schools for white people versus schools for black and Latino people. They're, they're, they're all schools. Mm-hmm. And the universities, all are universities um, with, with um, uh, access to the same kind of uh, resources and teaching that you would want your child to have, to have an equal shot at a good education. Mm-hmm. So what we have here is is uh, awful compared to what's there for the everyday citizen. Um, Sounds like what we're scared of here, what many folks are scared of here, is, you know, this... Is, know, is to ed- lose that... Education that's shared. It, what people are scared of is losing white supremacy, mm-hmm. losing... Um, the the unequalness that gives them the advantage mm-hmm. uh, and their children the advantage. And, and I see nothing that is being done in Cuba that really can't be done here. Oh, well. If we had the will. The will. And, and illiteracy, um, knocking out illiteracy would be one of them. I mean, when you... When you think about the illiteracy rate in this country being um, 15, 20%, and then you double that because of the people who are functional, functionally illiterate because they don't read mm-hmm. and they don't have to, mm-hmm. then that's a problem. 
Now, one of the things that, that we found um, that the Cubans are hungry for, I mean desperately hungry for, is social media mm. and a connection, uh, a better connection to the Internet. And, and Betty and I um, experienced that, and that's in uh, the first chapter, because after touring uh, all day, um, people were tired and they went um, to their rooms and we stayed at a community hotel, so nothing was um, uh, what you would call luxury. It, mm -hmm. It's like a Motel 6, uh, down even from that. Yeah. Um, and, but she needed to, for her work, as the executive director of uh, the National Association for Multicultural Education, be able to get online and just check email and, and answer um, the 2,000 members' questions and issues uh, because she was rolling into uh, her conference, uh, which, which was in the fall. And then I was working for the newspaper that first year and the second year, so I needed to be able to get online so that I could read the stuff that's going on and, and be able to come back and it'd be mm -hmm. seamless. But there was one computer in the hotel oh, where wow. we were. Uh, and in our group that year, there were about 20 people. And then there were other people uh, from other places that were also needing to be online. What we had found was another hotel with Wi-Fi so that um, Betty had her computer and her uh, iPhone and iPad. And so uh, we decided to walk there to um, uh, get online. In, in Cuba, you have to have like a, this card that you buy. It's about a business-sized card. And for the equivalent of $3, their, their currency, um, at the hotel where we stayed, you could, you could get about an hour and a half of Internet use from that one card. And that's not a lot, but that's a, that's, that was the best that they could do. At the, at the other hotels, which were, were nicer, um, where everyday Cubans wouldn't stay, couldn't stay, mm. uh, but they were for tourists, um, <clears throat> the, the cards there cost the equivalent of $15. But you could take the card from our hotel, and they worked down there. Okay. So we, we would walk uh, at 10.30 at night mm -hmm. down a street named Paseo. Okay. <laughs> I mean, how, how eerie is that? And it looked just like the Paseo the here. Okay. Uh, uh, with, with, the, with the median in the middle and, and no. park benches. Yeah, and, 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 and uh, paved streets along the side and big houses. I mean, it was incredible. <laughs> so we would, we would walk down there at night. 10.30, uh, and, you know, when we went, and Betty walked with a cane because she has MS, so uh, she would carry that cane like she was going to club somebody. <laughs> <laughs> and you know how she was. Um, so we would walk down there. Late at night, it's dark. Uh, and imagine walking that Paseo here. Mm. Yeah. You know, never, no. Never. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> but, but Cuba was different. And what we, what we found was nobody cared. Nobody bothered us. Uh, people were friendly mm -hmm. because they were also out. It was hot as blazes. And to be out at night was, was what you do because they didn't have air conditioning. Mm -hmm. And we walked down to where the seawall was and, and the ocean was, was crashing against it. But the hotel was there. And then we'd um, be online for about two hours. And then we'd walk back. So 12, 31 o'clock, we were walking back. 
and and never was there a problem. What we learned from that experience, uh, Donna, was that you cannot take the um, way that you might feel about a situation in the U.S. Mm -hmm. and translate how that's going to be in Cuba because it isn't. They um, don't have problems with crime like we have problems with crime. Mm -hmm. They don't have um, guns everywhere so that you know people are worried about um, being shot or, or mugged. So um, we did that the entire 10 days that we were uh, in Cuba. Never a problem. Okay. Hustling Wi-Fi. All righty. So. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. That's we got, it. That's what yeah, we were doing. We got to take our last <laughs> break. Um, and we come back. We'll continue our conversation with our guest, uh, Louis Duguid, on his latest uh, book, Exploring Cuba, Erasing Fears Through Multicultural Education. Education erases fears. Knowledge and intelligence erases fears. And so that's why certain people in our society are so against mm -hmm. education, it seems. Let's talk more about that when we come back here at 90.1 FM KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. Tune in on Saturdays at 5 p.m. for Changing Narratives, the program hosted by me, Brother Jay. Join me for interviews and discussions that will be informative and entertaining. While interviewing some of the unsung heroes from the African-American community, our goal is to bring balance to the current negative narratives that are being shared. Once again, every Saturday at 5 p.m., Changing Narratives with Brother Jay. KKFI is rolling out a new programming schedule in early 2024. This new schedule will feature more new music shows starting at noon, with a few of the public affairs and arts programmings moving to a new time slot. The new schedule will broadcast music from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Monday through Friday. So stay tuned as we'll share more information about the new programming schedule soon. Cubanissimo from the album Greetings from Havana. You are tuned to 90.1 FM, KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. This is Urban Connections. I'm your host, Donna Walfar. Co-host Karen E. Griffin is in studio and at the table alongside our guest, author Louis Duguid. He is an activist uh, as well as an author. He does things about what he talks about and he walks the walk and you walk the walk Lewis I, I try when you see <laughs> injustice how can you sit still mm -hmm. yeah all right that's true yeah. but although many people have no problem sitting still when they nope. see injustice um I got several notes here 
first of all, are there any banned books in Cuba? No. <laughs> Not that I know. But we of. got banned books here. I'm it just, doesn't make this sense. Here, I'm, I'm more. I'm still comparing and com- contrasting. Well, and see, it goes back to fear, mm-hmm. and and people here using fear as a club that they are beating other people over the head with. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I also want to talk about uh, environmental issues in Cuba. What's the situation with global warming there, and also uh, about Cuban immigration. It seems like, well, we've been told in the media that it has ramped up. And so there's this army of tens of thousands of people trying to bust down the doors to get into America because we're so great. And um, also, what about access to tra- uh, travel in in Cuba now that you guys had access to? Um, Trump really um, just messed up the landscape and and I think that um, until um, things settle down with the Joe Biden administration uh, we're not going to see anything change um, because he's got his hands so full with everything else um, whether it's uh, trying to get money to Ukraine um, trying to um, uh, relieve the the debt of people um, who are who he wanted to uh, give student loan forgiveness uh, to, and then, of course, the Middle East uh, just becoming this boiling cauldron. Um, <clears throat> Biden's not going to get to Cuba, certainly during this first um, uh, term. If he gets a second term, that's where you know you keep your fingers crossed and, and hope that he can be pushed in, into doing the right thing. There are some efforts that are being made in, in Congress to lift the embargo. Congress would be the um, one to actually do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, again, <clears throat> Congress can't tie its shoe right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's, that's a problem. Um, uh, Cuba could be, for farmers in the U.S., for, for businesses in the U.S., this, this huge marketplace that is, is really an untapped resource. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what lifting the embargo uh, could do. It would benefit um, businesses in this country, but also benefit the, the Cubans. Uh, in the times that we um, went there, we uh, flew on a plane and we were limited to um, having our luggage weigh only 45 pounds. Okay. And that's because the Cubans were bringing so much more um, there in, in appliances and, yeah. and mm-hmm. just uh, all kinds of shrink wrap material that was part of the cargo of the plane. Um, they're, they're desperate for more. They're desperate for a better way of life. Now, the coronavirus just totally uh, messed up uh, everything because they had depended on tourism as as a means of, of really elevating their economy mm-hmm. and um, really breaking down a lot of barriers, not just between the U.S. and Cuba, but other countries as well, because they bring, they bring in money. Yeah. But the coronavirus... Um, killed tourism worldwide, and it really hurt um, developing nations uh, such as Cuba. You know, um, I, I we barely have any time, but I got to read something to you. Sure. Okay, so last time you were here, which was, uh, well, I don't know, maybe it wasn't the last time, but uh, I quoted you as saying um, 
This primary election has most of the white candidates promoting themselves as conservatives who are against just about everything that could be inclusive. I don't know whether they, they or the people supporting them realize how disturbing it all sounds to people of color and people in the LGBTQ community. It's as if we are back in the early 1920s, just after the worst period of lynchings and whites rioting in the country. Critical race theory is under attack, and so are teachers and schools for daring to teach kids the real truth about American history. You said that a couple of years ago. And it's not changed. It has not changed. That's what's, that's what's terrible and, and such a tragedy. And then you have people like Trump, who are the front runners for the Republicans, and all of the other minions are trying to be just like him. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you, if you think back to the first Republican debate and uh, the people who were on stage, there were over a half dozen of them. The men had on dark suits and these long red ties <laughs> trying to mimic <laughs> Trump. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, not, not only in what they were saying, but also in how they, they looked. They looked. It, it's, it's, it's a frightening yeah. part of our history right now. And unfortunately, we're living through it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here today. It's Lewis. been a joy. Thank you. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing your latest book with us. Exploring Cuba, Erasing Fears Through Multicultural Education. Big shout out uh, to our dear friend, Betty Tate Beaver, who I'm sure is out there, you know, in the vibrations and multiverse. She made it happen. She's like, no, don't write that. Uh, (laughs) Erase that. You got to write it this way. He got it right, Betty. He got it right. (laughs) It's really good. Um, I encourage everyone to go to our website at kkfi.org every week and uh, check out the Urban Connections page there will be a podcast of this conversation there you can link us at kkfi.org and um yeah thank you i appreciate you um coming up next everybody is brother jay and changing uh narratives and uh come back soon lewis so we can talk some more about this uh, election cycle you you know i I can't stay away because um this this election cycle is is um it's it's so problematic um and i i really am just like a lot of other people who fear for the state of the country if certain people were elected Elected. and and that's that's where we are unfortunately in america now all righty um Nothing but the truth here on KKFI. And it hurts. The truth hurts. (laughs) It's an offense, but it's not a sin to tell it. It's a fear. All righty. Thanks, Lewis. See you next time. You bet. Some more petite mambo cubanissimo. (laughs) 